Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here as Giannis Week continues on this podcast. And if you are listening to us for the first time, you can get me on Twitter at Kane Pittman. You can get the show on Twitter at Locked On Bucks. And you can also find my words over at ESPN. And over the last couple of days, we've had Frank Madden and Mitchell Maurer, guys that cover the team from the local perspective. And so I thought while we continue to talk about Giannis, it was time to go national. So we've got a friend of the podcast back from the Washington Post, Ben Gulliver. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. I, you're ambitious only calling it Giannis Week. I feel like this might wind <laughs> up being Giannis Month for you, Giannis Year, Giannis Decade. I mean, how far is this going? How, how far can you take it? Well, it's a good question. I, I said on yesterday's show, I might not even cover any games this year. I might just talk about Giannis every single episode. And it, it does feel that way. And we, we were sort of chatting before we started recording here. And as people have asked me, you know, what this sort of means or what this, this feels like for the franchise and for the city, I said there's kind of three aspects to this for me. There's, there's one, I am, as Milwaukee's sort of become a, a second home for me, I'm happy for the city, I'm happy for the fans, because certainly the anxiety was, was building rapidly with every hour that passed. Uh, number two, from a selfish perspective, I'm happy that I get to cover this guy play because it's just been a ridiculous few years. And then uh, number three, I'm also happy that we don't have to talk about the contract right through the season because that was a pretty dreadful thought, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. And I'm happy we don't have to watch Giannis thinking about the contract throughout this entire season. I mean, one thing that I noticed uh, just from the bubble and when when he was starting to you know really feel some heat and some pressure in the, in the postseason is he didn't necessarily always respond the best from a mentality standpoint. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you saw at times he got the ejection. I think he pressed at times. Uh, late in games, of, of course, there was the headbutt incident, which uh, you know sparked that ejection. But there was just different moments where I, I felt like he was in his own head a little bit. He stopped trusting the jumper uh, and, and got a little bit more hesitant with the three-point shot as the playoffs went on. He was in his own head, and you could just kind of tell. And I was worried that that would carry over into this season, right? As all these guys are giving him the pens, and there's these awkward Zoom calls, and he knows the questions are coming. I was just a little bit nervous, like maybe this is going to be a choppy season for Giannis if he's just thinking about it and he's trying to keep his options open. So I think for him, there, there should be a peace of mind in knowing that he has almost a quarter of a billion dollars coming. But I think there should also just be a short-term focusing aspect to this upcoming season where it's just like, look, dude, all you have to do is hoop, or as he says, you know, hoop and have some more children, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I think that, that that makes his life a lot easier. I think it's going to make for a better viewing experience too, not just a listening experience because we don't have to go through all the rumors and the different scenarios and everything else, but it should just be more fun to watch Bucks games this year uh, with this thing behind him. Yeah, at some point I would love to ask him about some of the stuff you were just talking about, because certainly over the last week, and, and this 
you know, to me, I, I was always relatively optimistic that he was going to sign an extension this offseason, even though the deadline was starting to creep up. But th- some of the feeling amongst Buck fans was that oh, his, his attitude or what you were seeing, which was clearly some stress and, and some weight that he was carrying on his shoulders, was him perhaps checking out of the team. And I never bought that. I said, I think that's ridiculous. I think this is just a huge decision that he has. But yesterday, getting the chance to speak to him and how visibly happy he was and certainly he's got every reason to be happy but I I do wonder whether he was a little bit surprised or shocked with how stressful this process was and how intense the scrutiny was going to be and and I'm curious I would be just curious to know whether the last few weeks he kind of realized and it kind of dawned on him what was going to happen if he didn't sign this extension well keep in mind I mean this was the last two years but really this past year was the first season he ever truly faced like national expectations right Mm -hmm. I mean he was always overachieving for like the first five years of his career, right? And there was a, some little nitpicking after they blow that two, uh, 2-0 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals to uh, Toronto and people are saying, well, wait a minute, they probably should have had that series and, and taken care of it. But at least he got a pass mostly for that. But coming into last season, it was like, you guys are supposed to be the favorites. You guys have the best record um, in the Eastern Conference. There's no Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. Like this is your finals and, and this is your time to do it. And they didn't wear those expectations very well. It wasn't just him. I thought Coach Bud cracked it at different moments of the bubble. I thought Eric Bledsoe was, you know, his typical, you know, playoff Bledsoe self uh, for basically the third straight year. And some other guys at at different moments just were a little bit shaky uh, under that pressure, under that uh, magnifying glass, that microscope. And so I think for Giannis, like the expectations of an entire city, an entire fan base, the entire NBA media universe looking at him, other superstars trying to decide what is he going to do? So how does that influence our moves? I mean, that's an awful lot for any person to deal with, especially someone who didn't come up like LeBron James, where all eyes have been on him since he was 15, 16 years old. I mean, this was definitely, you know, uh, foreign territory, uncharted waters for Giannis. So I think there's, there's no question that all that stuff influenced his decision. And I would just say this about, okay, was he going to check out on the team or anything else like that? I think in a weird way, having him not play very well during the bubble last year. I mean, we would say that he was their best player, their most important player by far in those playoffs, but by his own standard, he's not going to rate out as an A or an A plus in those playoffs, right? I mean, he probably feels like it was a C plus or a C in terms of what he's capable of. Even if he had amazing numbers in certain games, he just didn't have that dominance, that control of the series. And of course the, the end result with the injury and everything else I think that wound up leaving him in a situation where he felt like he kind of owed the franchise. Like instead of looking around and pointing the fingers and saying, Oh, Bledsoe let me down and coach Bud doesn't make adjustments and everything's falling around, uh, you know, falling apart around me. I think Giannis kind of came away from that whole experience being like, you know what? I kind of let this team down. You know, this was, this one was on my shoulders and in a weird way, that was a really good thing for the, to happen to the bucks. If you had to go out, um, it was better to go out that way rather than Giannis playing A plus basketball and all of his teammates, you know, just not coming up, uh, you know, coming up short. I guess you know it wasn't a situation like LeBron in 2010 where he's walking off the court in Cleveland just like you know what I've had enough. <laughs> These guys just aren't going to be good enough. It was a totally different vibe and mentality, and I really think that played to Milwaukee's benefit. Of course, it would have been better if they had made the finals. It would have been better if they had won the title because then he's going to instantly resign, sort of like Anthony Davis did, right? And and just, you know, get back in line for another crack at it. But I think the way it played out, it actually, um, you know, played to the the organization's benefit because he felt like they owed him. Right, or he to... felt like uh, he owed them, rather. 
Yeah, I've got a, a couple of thoughts on that. I, I think that's a really fascinating line of thinking there. Before I get to those, I do want to speak about our friends over at Built Go uh, because if you need to break through your wall, you can do it daily with Built Go. It is the best workout gel on the market. It's like drinking a monster drink with only a third of the caffeine you find in those other products and better results because it's natural. They have three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, chocolate coconut and chocolate mint as well and we've got a sweet deal for you guys visit builtgo.com and use promo code locked that's l-o-c-k-e-d and you'll get 20 percent off your next order use promo code locked for 20 percent off at builtgo.com Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wages. Subscribe to the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get back to the point you were making or the thoughts you were sort of uh, rattling through there before the break because... There's been a couple of things that have certainly crossed my mind. And you mentioned the way that they exited and it was disappointing for the franchise on a whole from the team perspective, from a coaching perspective, and yes, from Giannis as well. And I've always kind of had this sense that Giannis has this real strong feeling of responsibility uh, to bringing a championship to Milwaukee. And I always saw... You know, the, the stories that come out that suggest if they have a bad playoff exit, he might be forced to leave. And there's certainly something to that. I'm not trying to dismiss that. But he's always struck me as a very stubborn and very competitive guy who really values being the man that has brought this franchise back to relevancy. So I thought there was twofold uh, action here. One, he would have been even more determined to say, okay, this was not the way I want this to end. I need to come back and ensure that we do better next season. And then the second thing is sneakily, I think that the Bucks falling out the way that they did in the postseason was a real wake-up call to the front office and to, to John Horst and to everyone that they do need to continue to adapt and they do need to make moves in the offseason. And we saw that. They went all in with Drew Holiday. And perhaps the fact that Giannis took so long with this decision in terms of the, the franchise wasn't sure that he was going to sign, I think is another message that... This isn't just a foregone conclusion that he's going to stay around. And not only does Giannis need to improve and Bud need to improve, but the front office needs to keep the foot on the gas. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, would, I would point back. Do you remember the foul he had on Jimmy Butler, that last second foul that basically, you know, swing yeah. that series yeah. uh, for good? If you watch Giannis right after he commits that foul, and, you know, some people are going to say, you know, that's a disputed foul. I was actually um, headed towards the locker room and, and one of the Bucks owners, I could overhear him calling an NBA official to complain about uh, that call minutes after the buzzer had sounded. Right. So obviously there was a lot of people upset about that within the organization and, and I'm sure Bucks fans too. But if you watch Giannis's reaction, he just went and sat down and he started kind of like picking at his hair and, and furrowing his brow. He never argued the call on the court. Uh, his teammates were arguing it on his behalf. Coach was upset, of course, just given the time score situation. You know, why are you going to make a, a ticky-tack call like that? But he never argued it because deep down, I think he felt responsible. Like, it was his fault. Mm-hmm. He had screwed up. He had taken a risk, and it had blown up in his face. And even his post-game comments, I mean, you'll remember that um, the comments. I mean, he did not say, oh, we got screwed, and, and this was the wrong thing, and, uh, we, you know, we deserve a chance to go to overtime. He just said, look, you know, I, it was my decision and, and he moved forward with it. I just think that's emblematic of the responsibility that you're talking about, right? He does view himself as a leader. He does view himself as 
a guy who has been put into this incredible situation where he's the face of an organization, where he's developed and has had the ball put into his hands, where everything's been built around him, where they've even, you know, gone and, and signed his brother so that he can ride along shotgun as well. And I think that, you know, he feels an awesome responsibility and, uh, and power in that particular role. And to just walk away from that would take a very drastic situation. And I think the Bucks were in a spot as an organization where they just had to do enough to kind of convince him that they were serious, that, you know, they couldn't just be completely lackadaisical. They couldn't make no moves, but they didn't necessarily even have to do the types of things we typically see, um, you know, teams that have superstars that are trying to cater to those superstars do. They didn't fire Coach Bud, even though that was absolutely something that um, I expected in that type of a situation when you go out in the second round with the kinds of stakes, a lot of organizations would change the coach as a sign to the superstar that they mean business, right? They didn't go out and swing a crazy trade for a superstar level sidekick or take on all this long-term money or do anything else sort of desperate like that. We've seen Houston make a lot of radical moves like that to keep James Harden happy over the years. They didn't do that. Um, there wasn't even, uh, you know, any like Anthony Davis style blockbuster trade, which is obviously coming at LeBron's request, uh, you know, a couple years ago there in Los Angeles, right? They essentially tried to just stay the course, do what they could do around the edges, make a nice calculated, uh, targeted uh, move for a guy in Drew Holiday. And then, of course, the Bogdan thing blew up in their face. I think that that was uh, where things got shaky. If they're bringing, you know, Bogdan in, uh, you know, as part of a starting lineup, that lineup looks rock solid to me. It's arguably the best five-man group uh, in the NBA heading into next season, uh, if not the best, and certainly the best in the Eastern Conference. And they're going forward with really no questions asked. But I think ultimately, like, Giannis wasn't doing the kind of superstar slash coach, superstar slash GM, superstar slash franchise player type of um, maneuvers that we often see from LeBron and Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard trying to line up Paul George and James Harden and everything else. Giannis really has no interest in any of that. He just wants to be a player. He wants to be the, the, the best player, of course, but he just wants to be a player. And so I think he actually wound up in the grand scheme of things. He kind of wound up being a cheap date uh, for Milwaukee Bucks ownership, right? <laughs> All they really had to do is go out there and get him Drew Holiday, make sure that he didn't have to run back with Bledsoe for a fourth straight playoffs, uh, invest a few draft picks into the future. And, uh, you know, you, you've got a team that can be competitive this year and you've got a, a spot that you're familiar with. A lot of superstar guys would have been able to get a lot more than that in terms of concessions, in terms of roster changes, maybe even in terms of a hand-picked head coach and everything else like that. I think it speaks to Giannis's character, but also his personality in terms of, you know, being a willing player as opposed to somebody with these grand chess master, uh, you know, hopes and dreams uh, that, uh, you know, he was willing to re-sign the Supermax in that kind of a situation. I think if I was his agent or somebody close to him, I would have been pushing him harder and saying, look, Giannis, you're asking the world of yourself uh, in terms of what you're doing year round to make yourself better as a player. You need to be holding that front office and that ownership group to an even higher standard. You need a little bit more than a Drew Holiday to just convince you that this is going to be your home for the next five years, uh, plus this upcoming season. And that's a major commitment. And so I think in a way, he almost did the Bucks a favor uh, uh, with this agreement. And of course, he's going home very rich and very comfortable. So it's not like he's a loser in the matter. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm just saying he let them off. Uh, he let them off pretty light. 
Yeah, it's so fascinating to sort of zoom out and look back at, obviously, the Toronto series that we know was, it uh, could have could have gone either way. And I mean, you think back to game three and obviously double overtime, Giannis fouls out in the second overtime, the Bucks lose that game and it swings the course of, of really of, of that series and NBA history there. And then you already brought it up, game two, uh, that foul, but perhaps the Bucks win that game and that series is all square at 1-1. Uh, maybe Giannis doesn't get injured. I mean, these are all what-ifs that Bucks fans are going to have to live with. But I think the... The point of all that is that they have been, even though they've lost, there's, there was moments within the series that could have changed it, and they are close. They have been close enough in each year to get through those series. Now, would the Bucks have gone on to win the NBA Finals? I highly, highly doubt that. And there is clearly uh, the margin for error with this team, as you pointed to, is still going to be very slim. You're going to need luck. You're going to need perfect health. Uh, but I think that there would be a sense within the Bucks organization that if uh, they can make some more adjustments from a coaching perspective. If Drew Holiday can just provide a consistent level of play that they haven't been able to get out of very good. So in the postseason, then they think they'll be close enough. But I do agree that Giannis clearly has done the franchise a favor by signing the five years. And that was probably why I thought there was a chance that he might've signed a shorter term deal to ensure that the pressure continued to remain on the franchise. I'm wondering, and you mentioned Bogdanovich, I'm wondering about how you viewed the, the national, uh, I guess, narrative around the Bucks Because I, I got a, a DM from a listener this morning, Justin Lackeritz, who asked, and he said, I'm kind of frustrated that the narrative has gone from Giannis isn't going to sign, he's going to leave, to now uh, the Bucks aren't good enough to contend anyway. They didn't have a good enough offseason. And I kind of haven't really sensed that. I've actually felt it's been the opposite. I thought that the Bogdanovich botched sign and trade and the Giannis looming extension was a dark cloud over the franchise that made everything look horrific and made everything look like it was a train wreck and things weren't going well. And all of a sudden, Giannis signed on the, on the dotted line. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing a lot of national podcasts, national shows, national uh, stories suggesting that, well, actually, the Bucks are a contender. So I, I'm just curious, has this changed the perspective? How did you view the offseason all up with the, some of the periphery moves they made? Obviously, you already mentioned uh, Drew Holiday there. Yeah, well, I think first things first. I mean, I trade three first-round picks to never have to watch playoff Bledsoe again. So I think that <laughs> that 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 was the most under-discussed part of that trade. Yes, it's like, yes. look, you got. I mean, there's a price on Drew Holiday, and everyone's saying, yeah, there's like, you know, they're they're throwing the moon at New Orleans or something like that. Well, I mean, some of that price is you've got to get off of Eric Bledsoe's money, and you know, you're selling low after people just watch him just completely all over the place again during the playoffs. And so I think that was a part of the deal. Look, I was I've been the Bucks' biggest champion the last couple of years in terms of, you know, hyping them up as a title favorite and being really bought into what they're trying to do. Um, I don't think that this offseason was a gigantic win for them outside of the Giannis resigning. So of course you set that aside. <clears throat> that was by far their number one priority. I think they called it the Super Bowl, right? So they win the Super Bowl on that. But if you're trying to line this team up uh, you know, around the the league right now, I think you're seeing uh, a deeper and kind of a flatter a uh, group of contenders uh, mm -hmm. in the Eastern Conference. You're seeing Kevin Durant come back in. To me, he's going to be the best all-around player in the Eastern Conference this year, assuming that he's even close to healthy. Uh, he's just a higher skill level, more experienced, more accomplished, more decorated player than even Giannis or, or anyone else, whether it's Embiid or Jimmy Butler or anybody else right down the line. And so I think the landscape got a little bit trickier for Milwaukee. The other things that I'm a little bit nervous about, they're losing a lot of what I would call like institutional knowledge, you know, guys who had the chemistry and camaraderie for these last couple of years who played lots of minutes. 
I think the George Hill departure is, has been under-discussed nationally. He played really well last year, as you guys know. Um, Wesley Matthews played really important minutes for them. Now, at times, he was a pretty shaky guy as well in the playoffs and, and maybe wasn't as dynamic as they needed him to be. But without getting Bogdanovich, that winds up looking like at least something of a hole to me. Uh, and then you're just also losing a lot of players from the bench and bringing in lots of guys who I just don't necessarily love any of the uh, backup options they brought in once the Bogdan thing fell apart. So I think even if you're adding Drew Holiday, I mean, that one move is a clear, clear, clear upgrade. And if there was, if there was anything I wanted to have happen, it was get Bledsoe out of there and upgrade the point guard. So they absolutely accomplished the most important mission, but I, I'm not sure they accomplished all the other things too that, that I was hoping for, or that, you know, maybe they, they didn't keep pace quite as well with a team like the Lakers or even the Clippers in terms of their, you know, secondary moves within the title chase. So I actually think they have a lower title chance in 2021 than they did in 2020 uh, because of that. And I also think it just winds up putting even more burden and pressure on Giannis to like pull this thing all the way through. I'm a little bit worried about regression from a Brooke Lopez and what does that look like longer term? Mm -hmm. And then I'm also nervous about how much are you going to have to pay holiday to keep him there? Because look, I, I was talking about Giannis being a cheap date. If he only gets one year to play with Holiday and Holiday goes somewhere else in free agency, I mean, that is a really, really tough spot for Giannis to be in. And, and you know, how do you replace him? Who's going to be your new starting point guard and everything else? So they have to pay almost every price. I mean, Holiday's agent is in such a great spot right now to negotiate that next deal with Milwaukee because they need him so desperately. But that that's going to be a gigantic contract that's going to really – limit and crimp their flexibility trying to, to build a team going forward. So their main guys are going to be Giannis, Holiday, and Middleton. And to me, like that feels like a good core, um, especially for the next couple of years, because they're all pretty much aligned in age. They're all in their prime. But, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a traditional, quote unquote, big three. It's not even necessarily two top 10 players, which a bunch of other teams around the league have right now. And so I, I still feel like something's lacking. And I'm a little bit worried who's their best five when they get into a playoff series, right? And if they have to go smaller and get Lopez off the court, it seems like they've got a couple holes there in the rotation. And they've got some guys who could potentially step up and fill them, but not necessarily guys at this moment right now that I trust. So maybe I am being the frustrating guy that your, uh, your DMer was uh, talking about. <laughs> but I, I just think, like, I'm really worried we're going to look back and be like, God, 2019 was such a great shot at a title for Milwaukee. 2020 should have been their year. And if there hadn't been a coronavirus pandemic, there's a really good chance it would have been their year. I don't think they lose to Miami if they have home court advantage. I'll just say that. Um, and I think they would have taken care of Boston. They gave Boston fits from a matchup standpoint all season long. If you give them a home court crowd, I think they're cruising, right? Uh, it would have been a big showdown with the Lakers, but still, I mean, that would have been a really fun series, right? Uh, but I, I look forward and I just think it's gotten a little bit trickier, and a little bit tougher. I mean, do you have a sense for who their best five is when, when we get into that moment? Um, or, or do you share any of these concerns I might have? Well, uh, the, the one thing, I mean, I do for sure. And it was funny that you mentioned 2019. I was texting with a friend the other day and he said, and this was prior to, um, you know, Giannis signing the extension. And he said, man, it just feels like a missed opportunity. And I said, I don't think that they'll ever get a better chance than 2019 with the way that things panned out. So even if they win a title in the future and time will tell, obviously now you hope you've got a few more years with Giannis, but certainly 2019 is always going to be the one because, you know, you take a two zip lead on Toronto, a team that you probably should have been able to handle and, and they, then they failed there. So yeah, I think, 
and we can sort of transition into the rest of the East. You sort of mentioned some of the teams, but the way that I would look at this offseason is that the Bucks didn't... They, they did get a huge upgrade in Drew Holiday. There's no doubt because, I mean, Bledsoe has averaged 10 points but below 30% from the field and below 20% from three. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's hard to describe. And I, I think the one thing that I would say is I don't think that it has been explained enough or, or really maybe understood how bad he was in the postseason to the point that he was actually unplayable. And now you've got a guy that really doesn't have to do a lot to give you a significant boost in your playoff play. So that's number one. And, and two, I, I think the guys that they've brought in, when you look at Bobby Portis and, and DJ Augustine and Bryn Forbes and these players, Torrey Craig obviously is an excellent defender but limited offensively. I think they've lost defense in the second unit. I think that's very clear. And they've replaced that with guys that they're hoping are going to be able to shoot. Because the other point to note is the Bucks in the series against Miami and Toronto have been absolutely dreadful from a three-point line. They've been around 30% in those two series. So I think that that's clearly what they were trying to get. Now, it's going to take some time to adjust. And you spoke about the institutional knowledge that they had. I think that there's a sense of hope from Bucks fans that changing things up will be a positive. Now, we know Bud has already said, and we've seen it in the game so far, he's going to go with the base knowledge. He wants everyone to be up to speed for what they've done the last two seasons. But I'm hoping that with some change in personnel, it will also force um, some different uh, defensive schemes, which everyone wants to see. And as far as the five, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to go small and have Brooke Lopez on the bench for the reasons that you mentioned, unless DJ Wilson takes a a mammoth step and becomes a reliable guy defensively and can do more than brick threes from the outside, then he's he's going to be a difficult guy to play in a postseason scenario. And Bobby Portis would have to take a massive step defensively. So I think that it's going to be Brooke, Giannis, Chris and Drew. And the fifth guy is the question. And I, I still think that there is a huge reliance on Dante DiVincenzo becoming a, a reliable starting caliber player. He's been fantastic defensively, but erratic offensively. Does he take a step in his third season? There's question marks. There's no doubt that there's question marks. But in the East, I didn't see another team that took a significant step forward. Philadelphia clearly got some stabilization within the organization. But now, just as we're recording this, Ben Simmons is, is, is apparently being made available in, dis, in discussions with James Harden. So things could still change. And then I think the health of Kevin Durant is the other wild card in the East. So I think the Bucks should be still favorites in the East with a big question mark next to their name. Whether or not they've done enough for an NBA Finals, I'm not sure. But I think if you're a Bucks fan, the NBA Finals still feels a long way away at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, first thing on the Simmons thing, the idea that he was going to be untouchable in a James Harden trade is like one of the funniest things I've ever heard. I mean, Daryl Morey would trade most of his family for James Harden. Okay, (laughs) so Ben Simmons is going to be available in that deal. And I don't understand how anyone was buying that cover story. But um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about their best five. And to me, it sounds like they've got three. And then two questions, right? right and right. Lopez will be okay in cer- certain matchups. You're going to be okay, especially in the Eastern Conference in the playoffs, you know, getting by playing him big minutes. You hope that he can have a little bit of a bounce back season from a shooting perspective because they really missed his shooting, I thought, in the playoffs. I mean, I, I just don't think it was quite where it needed to be. But that fifth spot is still a hole. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, asking Holiday to take on the toughest defensive matchups and then still be a guy late in games where, uh, he's being a, a major creator of offense to, to try to lighten Giannis's load and to give you a little bit more 
uh, you know, scoring balance in those moments is asking a lot. I mean, he's really good, but he's not a top five point guard in the league, right? And so uh, I think that your point on everybody else taking a little bit of a step back in the East is dead on. I mean, Boston loses Hayward, Kemba's hurt. They're not quite the same team. Toronto loses their frontline guys, Gasol and Ibaka. They're not quite the same team. Uh, Miami just kind of spun its wheels, brought the same team, uh, same team back, basically lost a couple guys like uh, Crowder and, and Jones. Uh, and then Philly, you know, arguably took a half step forward, but they're sort of back where they were two years ago, yeah. um, which still wasn't the most threatening team um, in the world. So I think the, the biggest team that Milwaukee has to look out for is, is Brooklyn. You know, if, if KD is playing up to his peak, they don't have a great matchup for him. And, uh, you know, they, they've got an awful lot of firepower. And, and I think uh, and they got some uh, potential positional matchups they could win or stylistic matchups they could win. Uh, you know, Lopez could struggle in that series, depending on how Brooklyn plays, just to, to stay on the court and to, to keep up you know, defensively and everything else. But I'm not writing Milwaukee off by any stretch. Look, I still think they're going to be – they have a really strong case to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference again. Um, but I just think that their their title odds were so good these last couple of years. I mean, the, the window was open for them, and I think it's just come back to earth slightly heading into this season. Yeah, I think it's totally fair. I mean, I, I don't think there would be any or too many people that would be listening to this podcast that would complain with that. And the reality is, and we've spoke about this endlessly on this show, with the assets that they had, and it's evidenced by the trade for Drew Holiday, it was going to be really hard for them to make a, a significant step or, or maybe that's uh, break glass superstar trade that you spoke about. It was just going to be hard for them to do that. So I think they did what they needed to do in terms of getting that upgrade at the point guard. And now it's going to be from a coaching standpoint and, of course, from development. I mean, we've spoke about it. Giannis himself can be better in the postseason from where he was last season. So I still think in the East, clearly, they're going to be in a fantastic spot. But if you're a Bucks fan, the anxiety is going to be there until they get it done in the postseason. Before we hey, um, go ahead. Uh, Kane, can I, can I spin this around and ask you a question? Absolutely. It's a hypothetical. It's tongue-in-cheek, but you know, I, I'm kind of <laughs> serious at the same time. If you were Giannis and you just signed a $228 million contract, how much of that contract would you be willing to give up if you could have such a, a dependable three-point shot that you could hit 40% off the bounce and basically anywhere? Now, you're not Steph Curry. You're not the greatest shooter of all time, but you're a 40% three-point shooter and you can hit it off the bounce like he wants to shoot it. How much would that be worth to you? Well, it's interesting. I, I wonder whether that would be enough. And, and listen, he's, he's, let's be honest. And this is the thing with the Supermax contract. You can talk about $228 million or you can talk about the, the 185, 190 that Anthony Davis signed for. And that's why the Supermax has been such a fascinating, uh, I guess, case study over the last few years to see how, how inviting it is for these superstars to stay in a small market. But Giannis always talks about winning, how badly he wants a championship. And regardless of whether it was $190 million or $228 million, uh, let's be honest, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to be fine. I wonder whether if he could make a trade-off for a, a standard max contract but could have that reliable three-point shot, whether he would do that. Because let's be honest, it, it, like you said, it's a hypothetical and it's, it's really dreamland to think that he would, he would get to that at this point, perhaps ever. But imagine if he had that 40% shot. The Bucks title odds that you're talking about would just skyrocket. So, yeah, my answer is $227 million. I think that if he can, cause if he can be a 40% three-point shooter, Kane, he's like the greatest player in the history of the sport, right? I mean, it's like what else – there's nowhere else for him to improve. I mean, that's why we see him out there 
every single game, hours before the game, working on that shot, working on that shot. And, and that's the thing. I mean, I just love his competitive spirit, how much he's improved as a player. That's He's basically my favorite player in the NBA because of how much work he's put into his game year after year after year and how it's translated into improved overall efficiency, improved overall production, improved IQ, just improvement in every single aspect. I think he's such a model. Wasn't there a joke going around that John Stockton was telling people that the, the player who reminded him the most of himself was Giannis? <laughs> and everybody was like kind of laughing because John Stockton is this little pipsqueak and Giannis is, you know, the, the incredible Hulk. And there's actually a lot of comparisons between those two. I mean, guys absolutely squeezing out every last ounce of their potential. And I, I respect both those players for that just immensely. But I think if you could tell Giannis, look, you have this shot, you know, it's, it's the thing that's bedeviling you, you know, like just like driving you crazy for the last six years of your life. But now you just have it. You're going to go into every single playoff series with the confidence of a guy who can knock it down. Teams are going to have to scheme around it. They're not going to be able to do all this stuff like building the wall in front of the rim. And all that stuff is just out because you have that shot. I mean, the, the long-term profit potential, if he is that player, it's like he's, you know, he's going to get another gigantic contract four or five years from now. He's going to get every off-season uh, off-court endorsement he could possibly want. I honestly think he could like play for free on the Supermax if you just gave him a three-pointer, which is hilarious to think about. But I really think that that's a, a reasonable thing to justify. Well, I think it's so funny because I think at this point, the Giannis three-point, and, and let's be honest, the one thing that I, I do try and point out is that while it was still very erratic, and he had actually a pretty hot stretch shooting the ball from December through January around that mark there, but he did go from 25% in the first year of Bud to, was, I think it was 30. I might have even dipped under that after poor shooting in the bubble. But his attempts per game went from 1.8 to over 4. I mean, he was really getting them up last year, which is fine because they're wide open. But I think the thing that you would still like to see is free throws because, let's be honest, in a close playoff game, you're going to need that guy to be able to be consistent at the free throw line. And in the Toronto series and the Miami series, he's averaged over 10 free throw attempts per game and he shot 56%. And in a close playoff game, you just can't have it. You can't have that. Well, that goes right back to what I was saying about uh, the mental side of things and, yeah. and how do you handle with expectations and pressure and everybody looking at you. And, and now you're the guy who's supposed to deliver. It's a great point. Maybe we should be compromising here instead of 227 million for the uh, three pointer. Maybe he gives up a hundred million. Now he's yeah. a 90% free throw shooter. What do you think? I, I like it. I'm just curious to know what your reaction would have been. if you seen the Shams tweet that Giannis has signed a five-year extension for $1 million? Uh, but he's also added the three-point shot. Um, that, that would, I wonder. I mean, hey, I, I think again, he financially, he would probably be able to uh, take that hit. No, it's uh, it's just an amazing story about like the player development side. Like some things you can absolutely learn, right? And then yeah. just some. It's like I can't golf. I could be out there on the course for as you know six hours a day for the rest of my life. I still don't think I'm ever going to be able to hit that thing straight, right? And I think for Giannis, I thought there would have been more progress than he's made. Um, and I did think that uh, at times it looked like he was turning corners. We just haven't quite seen it. And I, I do think that that's the – it's kind of the biggest variable right now for the Bucks. I mean, all, all the, the talking that we're doing about, okay, you know, do they have the fifth starter and everything else? Like some of those questions just go by the wayside. If Giannis is a more capable free throw shooter – a more capable mid-range shooter and a more capable three-point shooter, then you don't have to worry about that fifth guy so much. And uh, until we get there, you know, I think a lot of the um, the conversation is going to really be you know, focused on Giannis and his own game. You know, and I, I do think that's one kind of downside for him here. Now that he's locked in with Milwaukee, 
is that he doesn't have that absolute A-list co-star to share credit, share blame, and everything else. Like Kawhi practically escaped scot-free from the Clippers playoff fiasco because everybody just wanted to blame Paul George and everything else, right? Um, and, you know, I thought Kawhi Leonard was was pretty shaky at times during the Clippers uh you know, postseason. And I do think with Giannis, like the bullseye is always going to be on his back now going forward. Like he's locked in. You don't have the free agency conversation around him. Now it's going to come down to like, hey, this guy's won two MVPs. Is he the next Steve Nash where you're going to wonder, can he get over the hump? Can he turn into a Dirk Nowitzki where he proves that, uh, you know, loyalty can win a title? Does he fall somewhere else on that spectrum? I think that's really going to be the conversation that bubbles around Giannis. And again, that's that's a lot of pressure. And, and I'm interested to see how does he respond to it? How does he handle it? And then, uh, you know, how does the organization try to relieve some of that pressure going forward? And it starts with the holiday deal. They have to keep them no matter what. And uh, then they're going to have to figure out ways to get creative uh, after they solidify that trio. Well, uh, I'm glad that you've brought up the mental side of things. That's, that's always going to be the unknown with Giannis and, and really all players. But uh, the, if there's one thing I've noticed this week, and it came up with the Bucks social media post of the the three contract signings that Giannis has had as, as the young guy, then his uh, rookie scale extension that he had, and now this Supermax is just the change in size of the human. And I've always said this, <laughs> I don't understand how you can expect this guy, and I'm not a mechanical expert, but I don't know how you can expect this guy to be able to have a reliable jump shot through all these years when he's consistently been morphing into a huger human being. I don't even understand how he could uh, have that consistent form. And I, I think it, you know, I, I, it might be pretty simple, but I don't think that should be overlooked either. Just look at the growth of the, of the man. No, it's a great point. And I'll, I think it goes back to development too, in terms of when do you pick up a basketball? When do you get into yeah. your natural shooting rhythm? And like for Giannis, when he's out there two hours before a game going through all of his stuff, I mean, he's actually making up for lost time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's making up for all those years from age six to age 12 or 13, where he wasn't in the gym shooting two or three hours a day, like somebody like Kevin Durant or somebody like LeBron James was, right? And so um, that, that's, again, why I admire him. I mean, the amount of progress that he's made since he reached the NBA, I, you could argue it's the most progress any player in the history of the sport has made since they reached the NBA, right? Like, if you're saying the most improved player in NBA history from, like, where their baseline was as a rookie to where they were at their peak potential, I think Giannis probably has a bigger gap there than anybody else. I mean, I'm open to other suggestions, and that actually would be a, a fun discussion question, but he's in that, he's in that mix. But uh, – it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to fix this one thing that's sort of his Achilles heel. All right, man, this has been awesome, but I, I cannot let you go. I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I, you know, from following you on Instagram and social media from uh, the, the first up exercise in the, in the quarantine room to the, the wildlife excursions around the bubble. Uh, I really felt that your coverage inside the bubble really as someone who is extremely jealous, but also understanding it wouldn't have been easy life in there, but was still jealous that uh, of, of the experience that you had. Uh, I have to bring up the book bubble ball uh, is, is not too far away. Uh, what should we expect from this? Uh, how, how much of, uh, how are you even fitting this in with everything else that's going on right now? And, and I guess the last point, how do you, how do you look back on that? Because it has to be a pretty crazy life experience you got through there. No, you're, you're dead, right? I mean, my life is an absolute mess right now. You know, I was expecting <laughs> to have a couple of months to catch my breath and write this book. Yeah. And then of course uh, the NBA turns right back around and it's time to get back into it. 
I look back on the bubble fondly. I have a lot of good memories from it. Um, at the same time, I, you know, I, I no, no part of me wants to rush back to Disney World. You know, if they did do another bubble type situation, I would be open to the idea, depending on how long it lasted and everything like that. Um, it was the most challenging thing I've ever done in my career in terms of, you know, committing to it mentally. I think you hear a lot of the players say s some similar things. It was hard. I mean, it was 93, 94 nights for me. Um, you know, it felt like Groundhog Day. My claim to fame, Kane, is that I went to every single playoff game from the <laughs> second round on. I didn't miss a single one. I didn't see every minute of every game, but I was at least at or covering every single game. Uh, from the second round on, which that's never going to be able to be done again, unless there is another bubble type situation, just logistically, you wouldn't be able to, mm -hmm. to fit all those games in with the travel. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I tried to just throw myself into it completely, uh, immerse myself in the experience. And I saw a lot of really, really awesome basketball. And I guess reflecting back on it, I wasn't totally sure whether the bubble experience would be treated like a normal playoffs. Or if, if teams would say, hey, look, we could just use this as an excuse. You know, we don't have to overreact to the situation, um, you know, just because of how weird it was down there. But I think the opposite happened. I think that we saw everybody treat the bubble just like a normal playoffs. All the same stakes and pressure and, and all those kinds of things mattered. You saw Philadelphia fire its coach immediately. The Clippers uh, fire their coach immediately. Um, you're seeing, you know, the Rockets trade Russell Westbrook and James Harden wanting out. You're seeing the Lakers be a title team, and all of a sudden now everybody wants to go play for the Lakers, and they're the big off-season winners. And so I really think the bubble played a very key role in determining the landscape, you know, heading into this season, which that was an open question before we got down there. It's just, you know, is this going to be treated like a real deal, or is this going to be the Mickey Mouse playoffs that nobody takes seriously? Is there going to be an asterisk over everything? And I think, uh, you know, by the end of it, it was a war of attrition. The Lakers came out on top. They outlasted everyone. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis were sensational um, in the bubble. Uh, you know, there was just series after series of high-level competition. And I think with my book, I'm trying to capture a little bit of all of it. I, I want people to understand what it was like for me to go through it, um, you know, so you can kind of live vicariously through what I had to deal with and, and all the twists and turns of just even getting down there and getting set up there and uh, you know, what a typical day was like. So I'm, I'm conveying all of that. But really what was important, most important to me the whole time, I wanted to see a champion crowned. Every single year in the entire history of the NBA, they had crowned a champion. There had never been a year where they didn't. And when the, the league shut down in March, I was devastated, just sick to my stomach at the idea that all these players, including Giannis, were not going to get the opportunity to see somebody uh, you know, crowned as champion to have like no ending to this season's story. I mean, it, it just made me just gutted because, you know, we know how much time and effort these guys put into their games. So, you know, being there at the championship celebration, I randomly got sprayed with champagne by LeBron <laughs> James. And, you know, we're just like right there in the middle of it, this crazy party that kind of felt like a, a New Year's Eve party. And then also like a college graduation or a high school graduation party all rolled into one because we were all moving back home and, and on to the next chapter of our lives. Right. Uh, I just think I try to capture a little bit of that feel along the way, but also keeping a lot of emphasis rather on what happened on the court. Because to me, ultimately, the basketball story is what's most important. And I want to make sure that, you know, if there's Bucks fans out there who are like, what the heck went wrong, you know, down there in, in Orlando, hopefully my book will be able to help explain that. Same deal with the Clippers, same deal with the Rockets. And then, of course, I think for the Lakers fans, it's going to be, well, how are they able to pull this thing off? Why was this team that had been, 
uh, you know, had so much drama the previous year, had had to deal with the Kobe Bryant tragedy, had the season shut down right when they were starting to gain real momentum. How did they put the pieces back together and, and come out on top? And so I think those are some of the major themes I'm trying to get into uh, with the book. But it's my first book, so hopefully I'm <laughs> I'm doing a halfway decent job. I have no idea until it uh, it kind of hits newsstands. But it is um, it is available right now for pre-order, like on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Just search Bubble Ball or or search my name, Ben Golver, and uh, it should be out in May. Perfect. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, you're the best man to tell people where they can uh, track this thing down as soon as it becomes available. But uh, you have got those links that people need on your Twitter, at Ben Golliver, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast already follows you. But if they don't, that's going to be a fascinating read. And uh, I personally cannot wait to get stuck into that when it does come out. And uh, on, on top of that, it's always good to catch up with you, man. Like I said, it's been about a year since you were on this show. Uh, I'm not sure when we'll cross paths again, but uh, perhaps perhaps this year's playoffs. Who really knows? I'm not going to try and predict anything. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing it's been a year. I've lost all concept of time. But uh, I would say in the book, there's a lot of bucks. Uh, you know, there really is. Because I went down into the, the, the bubble thinking three teams could win it. Mm-hmm. Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, and so I was at every single Bucks playoffs game. I was at like ha- maybe even more than half of their regular season game. Obviously, I was one of like three or four reporters who was actually there at the shutdown yeah. from the start. You know, it was an early tip game. There wasn't very many reporters there, so I kind of give you some inside look at all the the stuff. You know, a TikTok, so to speak, of of how that day went down. So uh, and now I'm just selling too hard, Kane. You're going to have to cut me off. But I would just say there's a there's a large amount of bucks. They feature prominently because I think everybody knows how much I love Giannis and his game. And and uh, you know I had high hopes for them. I thought they were going to win it. So uh, you know it's it, part of it is just me coming to terms with the idea that they just got bounced in the second round. And what does it all mean? You know. I'm all about any and all plugs. So, I mean, you could, you could literally could just keep rolling here and I would be totally fine with that. Um, but I, I think, you know, that inside perspective is, um, is certainly something that I think Bucks fans would be fascinated with because there's some stuff that from the outside you just wouldn't be able to tell and you were obviously right there, which, uh, like I said from the start, I'm pretty jealous about that. But uh, I don't know what you got to do now. you probably got some more writing to, books to do or who knows, James Harden trades. I'm not sure. So I got to let you go. I originally told you 20 minutes and I think we're, I think we, we might be pushing 50 here. So I really appreciate that. I go all day with you, K-Man. It's great to hear your <laughs> voice. I hope you and your family and everybody's staying healthy and, and all the people back in Australia are doing well and, and we'll talk soon. Well, that's Ben Gulliver. You can find him over at the Washington Post, the GOAT NBA pod as well, of course. And uh, I, I have to say, uh, I know Ben mentioned right at the start that perhaps we're not even going to cover games. We'll just be talking about Giannis forever. But the Bucks do play on Friday night against an old friend, Eric Bledsoe, who spoke with us this morning as well. So he had nothing but nice words to say about the Bucks, as I'm sure no one would be surprised by that. That tip is at 7 p.m. on Friday nights, and we will be back next week. So for Ben myself stay safe over the weekend and we'll catch you guys next week